How many of you, when you were small, had a little jack-in-the-box, or maybe as a parent you bought that toy for your children, you know, the little tin box that has a clown head stuffed down inside of it. Some people are traumatized by clowns anyway. It just makes me laugh to think about. And then we give that gift to our kids, and it's got this crank on it. It makes this really creepy music, right? I mean, it just almost sounds demonic. Um, it's warbled. It's, it's not clear. It's, and, 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 you know, we give this to our, <laughs> our innocent, unsuspecting children, and we tell them to turn that crank, and they turn the crank, and they hear the music, and at some point, you don't know exactly when, but at some point, you know that the lid is going to pop off, and that clown head is going to pop out, and, and uh, you know, the, the goal, I think, is for children to be surprised. I, I wonder how many times uh, the clown head pops out, and the children are actually terrorized. <laughs> we, we, we are in a sermon series called How Sweet the Sound. And we're talking about hymns of the faith and the stories behind those hymns, the theology around them. And one of the things you notice about Christians these days is that we love the world too much. I think it's really easy for us to get caught up in what's going on in the world and to, to maybe love it too much. The problem with loving the world too much is that it can usher in this, this spiritual complacency when it comes to those of us who are followers of Jesus. There is no urgency for us to do the things of God because it's easy for us to just fall in love with this world, which leads us to a place uh, where we aren't necessarily looking forward to the next life because this isn't the end, right? We, we know that. We, we, we know that. You say, well, Brett, how does that show up in society? Well, one of the places you see it is that people are way more concerned with what other people think about them than, than they are concerned about what God thinks about them. That's one of the ways it shows up. Another way is that people get way more concerned about their own comfort rather than the calling of God. And you see that all the time. And then there are some <clears throat> that are more concerned with what they have than who they are becoming. They're, they're way more focused in on what they're acquiring and the possessions they have than the type of person <clears throat> they are becoming. Oh, we believe in God and, and we'll pray to him when we need him. And you know, whenever we feel him, we will worship. And uh, once in a while, we'll, we'll, we'll give a little money into the offering plate because we're so consumed with loving this world. We wanna make sure that, that good things happen for us in the world. And so I think sometimes we kind of do those things almost uh, in a sense to try to kind of bribe God, like, hey, if you can keep the good vibes going, that would be a great thing. Yes, we prayed the prayer and we go to church, but now we hope that God will do what we want. And I think that's one of the things that it's really easy for us as believers to fall into is we come to Christ and all of a sudden we think we're the ones in charge and we want... God to be made in our image, and we want him to, to obey us and to do the things that we want him to do, and God, if you'll just figure out what it is that I want here, and you can do that, we'll get along a lot better. And so, you know, we, we, we think we should have all these things, and that God should do all this stuff for us, and we even have the audacity to say things like, you know, I got frustrated with God, or I got mad at God. I've heard talk to people, you know, that want to yell at God, and, and you know, we, we discuss that from time to time in here. It's a reality, it happens, people get frustrated. But when you think about it, 
And you think about the fact that God made us, not just us. He made, it the, he made the sun, moon, and the stars. He created the universe, all these wonderful animals and structures and, and formations and rocks and all these things that we have uh, on earth. And somehow we have the audacity to think that we can talk to God sometimes the way we do. It's a little bit scary when you think about it. We can become too in love with this world, and that results in a very real spiritual complacency. The one hope and prayer that I have for today's message is that God would give us a hope for eternity and an urgency for today. A hope for eternity and an urgency for today. Let's talk a minute about the hymn that we're going to uh, build our message around today. The hymn is an old favorite for some of you, maybe. It's, it's called I'll Fly Away. Remember that old hymn? Did you know that this song is one of the most recorded songs in history, there are over 5,000 recorded renditions of I'll Fly Away available. This song was written by a guy named Albert Brumley, who was born in 1905 in Spiro, Oklahoma. He grew up extremely poor. He lived in poverty. As a child, to help pay the bills, he would work in the fields alongside his mother, father, and brother, and they would pick cotton to try to make ends meet. When Albert was five years of age, his older brother, died of typhoid fever and Albert Brumley was very familiar with grief and with poverty he actually wrote the song when he was in college but he said it really was birthed in him when he was going through such grief and such hardship as a youngster and he said he was not longing for the blessings of this earth he was longing for the glory of heaven when he wrote the song this is what he wrote some glad morning when life is o'er, I'll fly away. To a home on God's celestial shore, I'll fly away. When the shadows of life have gone, I'll fly away. Like a bird from prison, has, from prison bars has flown, I'll fly away. May God give us a hope for eternity and an urgency for today. I think part of our faith... Um, the part of our faith that can really give us trouble with this, this hope for eternity and this urgency for today, is found around the, the second coming of Christ. Uh, when believers will be taken from this earth and taken to heaven to be with God forever. Uh, we call it the second coming. We, we call it the re return of Christ. Now let me just stop right there and acknowledge something for some of the people that might be listening to me right now. Um, you're, you're listening to all this and you're thinking to yourself, this is really weird. You know, when, when Christians talk this way, this is really weird. And I just want to tell you, I get it. I do. I understand. I think it's weird <laughs> and I'm a pastor, okay? So to even have conversations about this, it just, it feels weird and it seems weird. Um, it's really odd to talk about the idea. It's, you know, it's almost like a, a uh, I started the, the, the morning with an illustration about the jack-in-the-box. It's almost as if we are God's jack-in-the-box, you know, and, and the music's playing, and you never quite know really when God's going to pop up out of the box and say, hey, it's all over, we're all going to heaven. It just seems kind of weird, and, and, you know, if I just crank uh, this thing long enough, God's going to come along, and, and we're all going to go to heaven. And I understand how strange that sounds if you haven't heard it growing up your whole life, if you haven't been in church, I understand even if you have been in church, some people have heard this their whole life and they think to themselves, you know, Brett, I just, it's just too weird for me. I can't, I can't get on board with that. So I'm after today a hope for eternity 
and an urgency for today. I want to talk today about the return of Jesus. And as we do so, I want to share some insights uh, about Scripture. A lot of people think that the Bible is just one book, and that really is not true. The Bible is not one book. Actually, it's, it's a, a collection of, of uh, uh, 66 different books written by 40 different authors, and it has been accumulated, it was, collect, the, it was written over a, a cumulative period of 1,500 years. Uh, scripture contains what we call prophecy. Prophecy is a prediction of something that is to come. And of the 66 books that we call the Bible, only four of those books don't have prophecy in them. Scholars tell us that as much as 33% of Scripture is actually prophetic. You say, well, Brett, what is the second coming? Well, the, the second coming is a prophetic teaching written about in Scripture that uh, predicts events that will happen in the future when Christ returns to earth. Now, let me just, again, let me stop right there and, and let you know that I can hear what some of you are thinking. Uh, there are skeptics out there right now that are saying, right. And I understand that. I do. I, I, I get it. I understand your skepticism. I might be skeptical too. I might be right there with you if it were not for the prophecies that were made in the Old Testament that have already come true. And again, I hear what you're saying. Brett, that's a coincidence. Now, just let me say this, and, and this applies to a lot of things for me these days, not just scripture and, and prophecy, but world events and politics. There's a lot of different places where um, I would make this statement that I'm about to make, but I am growing increasingly tired of the word coincidence. Um, you know, when something happens and everybody just explains it away as a coincidence, I think we use that word way too often. Everything cannot be explained away as coincidence. At some point, you have to say, you know what, facts are lining up to make me think this, or facts are lining up to make me think that. And when it comes to Scripture and it comes to the Second Coming, that's kind of what, you know, that's kind of where you would find me. So stay with me. In the Old Testament, which was written by many different authors uh, over a span of many years, hundreds of years before the birth, life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, there were many authors who prophesied uh, what would happen in the life of Jesus. They prophesied that there would be a Jesus, that he would come to earth. They prophesied different things that would happen in his life. And they were all fulfilled and documented in the New Testament. So what I want to do right now, just to help build your faith, I want to show you some of the prophetic teachings from the Old Testament about Jesus these things were prophesied hundreds of years before they ever happened, and they were actually fulfilled and recorded in Scripture. And I don't know if you've ever heard about something called the Dead Sea Scrolls, but when they found the Dead Sea Scrolls, it really lent great credibility to the things that I'm about to tell you because it proved beyond a shadow of a doubt that many of those things had been written before Christ ever came to earth. So people couldn't say, well, these are you know, like self-fulfilling prophecies that were written after Jesus showed up. No, no, no. They've got documented evidence and, and documents that show that things were prophesied long before Jesus showed up. And I just wanna go through this list with, with, uh, with you just to try to build your faith a little bit. It was prophesied of Jesus that he would be born of a virgin, which he was. In Bethlehem, which is where Jesus was born, from the line of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, which he was. It was prophesied that he would ride into Jerusalem on a donkey. He did. 
He would be rejected by men, he was. He would be betrayed for a payment, that's true, that actually happened, and that he would be falsely accused, which he was. It was prophesied that he would be silent before his accusers, crucified beside criminals, and given vinegar to drink. All of those things happened. It was prophesied that his hands and feet would be pierced, they were, and that, his, they would, that, that soldiers would fight over his garments and that none of the bones in his body would be broken and that he would give his life. All of those things are true. It was prophesied that he would be buried in a rich man's tomb. He would rise from the dead. He would ascend to heaven and he would be seated at the right hand of God. He did and he was. All of this was prophesied and all of this came to pass. Now, I don't know about you, but that builds my faith. That, that, that really helps me to, to believe that what God says to me is true. Um, in fact, let me say this. You believe a lot of other stuff that comes with a lot less evidence than, than the, the evidence we have for the birth, death, burial, resurrection of Jesus and, and you know, life in him. Um, here, here's what's crazy. That's just a few of the prophecies. I just went through just a few of the things that you would find in the Old Testament. That's not all of them. Um, scientist Peter Stoner, who was a mathematician, uh, he talked about 332 specific prophecies concerning the first coming of Jesus, and they were all fulfilled. Um, and, and just let me put that into perspective for you. Mr. Stoner said that if one person were to fulfill eight of those prophecies, just eight of them, the, uh, the likelihood of that or the probability of that would be one to 10 to the 17th power. Okay, so you have a 10 and then you have 17 zeros after it for one person to fulfill eight of those prophecies. Not 332, just eight. Then Mr. Stoner said if one person were to fulfill 48 of those prophecies, again, not the full 332, just 48 of those, it would be, the odds of that would be 1 in 10 to the 57th power, which means you would have 57 zeros after it. Five, some scholars argue that there are as many as five times as many prophecies about the second coming his return as there are about his first coming. And, you know, if you think about that for very long, it can almost become mind-boggling to you. And, and it's my hope that God will use what we're talking about today to build this, the faith of someone who's listening in, 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 within the sound of my voice. I hope to give you a hope for eternity and an urgency for today. Let me give you three thoughts that will give you some eternal hope. I want to give you the three R's, and the three R's are the return the rapture, and the reunion. The return, the rapture, and the, re the reunion. First of all, let's talk about the return. What do we, as Jesus followers, believe about the return of Jesus? That Christ is coming again. Jesus said this in, in John chapter 14. He said, do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I am going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me 
that you also may be where I am. In the early days of the New Testament church in the first century, the believers were under such pressure and persecution, they were aware to even confess that they were following Jesus might mean that they would be tortured, that they might be beaten, that they would be whipped or flogged, burned at the stake, beheaded. Um, Some people were crucified. Some of those people were crucified upside down. Under those circumstances, we can only imagine the bond that they would have had with one another when they met a fellow believer and how difficult it would be sometimes to figure out whether someone was a fellow believer. You really had to be careful. You had to be very careful what you said and what you did. And so if, if it, you know, someone, if you thought someone was a, a, also a Jesus follower, you can imagine that, that the others would lean in and try to you know, get close and figure out. So they would use different symbolism. They would use different um, language sometimes. One of the symbols of the Christian faith, and I'm sure you've seen this, is the fish, right? You, you're driving along and on the back of a car is a fish. And I've, I've actually seen that, that symbol perverted by people who aren't believers in Christ and they try, to, you know, they try to put us down or make fun of us by turning it into different things. But it's, I really want you to understand the genesis or the origins of that fish because it's, it's really quite fascinating. Um, you've seen that fish on cars, right? Um, you've seen it on Bibles. I mean, you go to a Christian bookstore and you see that fish everywhere. The early Christians used that fish as a symbol to help identify each other in public without giving themselves away. Two people might be sitting on a bench and one of them would draw the top arch of the fish. He would just take a stick or his finger and he would just draw that in the sand or the dirt, um, almost as if he was fiddling around. The second, if he was a, or she was a follower of Jesus, would see that and immediately know that she's in the presence or he's in the presence of a believer, and they would reach down and they would complete the second ark, making a full fish. And perhaps you've seen the fish symbol, and sometimes you see the Greek letters inside the fish. And, and those symbols are, are Greek letters, and they represent the words Yesu Christos Theos Weos Soter. And those words are the, those letters are the first letters of each of those words, and those words literally mean Jesus Christ, Son of God, Savior. So when you see that fish, and you see those Greek symbols, those Greek letters inside that fish, that's what it's saying, Jesus Christ, Son of God, Savior. This was very important symbolism to the early church. Another way that they might um, greet one another when they saw each other is, uh, you know, they would see someone and they knew that they were a believer, or they might even even suspected that they were a believer. They might have said, Maranatha, Maranatha, which means our king is coming soon. Uh, The early Christians would say, Maranatha, our king is coming soon. Uh, It may be bad right now. We may be going through persecution. Things might not be great right now, but our king is coming back. They would encourage one another with that thought and with those words. Paul talked to Timothy and said that there would be a crown in heaven for people who longed for the return of Christ. In other words, for those who are not so in love with this world that, that they aren't thinking about the next life, Paul said, for those people who are enduring and, and for those people who don't let the, the current circumstances pull them away from, from Christ, Paul said there will come a crown for those who long 
for the glory of heaven. Maranatha, Maranatha, our king is coming soon. The apostle Paul described it like this in 1 Thessalonians. He said, for the Lord himself will come down from heaven and with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. In scripture, they, they blew trumpets for just a, a couple, for at least two things. They blew trumpets when they were going to go into battle, and they blew trumpets when they were going to go on a journey. So when Christ comes back, there will be a trumpet sound. We will hear a trumpet sound signifying an imminent battle and also signifying that Christ is going to take us on a wonderful journey. Christ will shout a loud command, the trumpet will sound, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Now let me just stop for a minute and acknowledge again, I know that that sounds weird to some of you. I know you hear that and you think to yourself, Brett, you know, I, I love you, buddy, but I just, I, I, don't, I don't know about that. And, and you're in church and, and, and you want to say this, but you don't feel like you can. I'll just say it for you. This is weird. It, it just sounds weird. It's, it's, it's not anything that we've ever seen happen before. We almost really can't even imagine this. I think most of us have seen too many post-apocalyptic movies that have zombies and mummies in them. And when we think about the dead in Christ rising, we, you know, I think we kind of see something from out of a, a Michael Jackson thriller video with somebody all wrapped up like a mummy or a zombie of some type. And, and I think that's the picture we have in our head. But the scripture tells us that those who have already died will receive glorified bodies. I think it will be a magnificent sight. I think if someone was, was close to a cemetery where people have been buried and, and it's the time for them to be risen, I think that I think it would be <laughs> part of it will be petrifying unless you actually know what's going on and have been expecting it like most Christians should. But I think it would be a magnificent sight to see these people coming out of the graves with their glorified bodies all rising from the dead uh, together. So that's the, that's the, um, the first part. Uh, let's talk now about the, the rapture. We were talking, what we called that? We called that the return, then the rapture. And when we talk about the rapture, I'm talking about when, when living Christians are taken away. It, this is what Paul said in 1 Thessalonians. After that, after Christ returns, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up. That phrase he uses there, will be caught up. I looked that up this week. Uh, in Greek, that is a really long word, and the root of that really long word is the word harpazo. Harpazo. Harpazo literally means to take by force, to take away or to carry off, to be rescued or taken out. We will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will be with the Lord forever. Alfred Brumley said it this way, I'll fly away, O glory. I'll fly away in the morning. When I die, hallelujah by and by, I'll fly away. Jesus described it like this in Matthew. He said, that is how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. Two men will be in the field. One will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding with a hand mill. One will be taken and the other left. So you also must be ready because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. 
In our culture, Jesus might have said, a husband and wife were out for coffee, and one of them was taken and one of them wasn't. Or he might talk about, you know, four guys that are in a foursome playing golf, and, and he says, you know, two of those guys were taken and two of them weren't. Harpazo, taken, rescued. Now, I just need to stop and say it again. I know how this sounds to some people. It sounds like a bad movie that you have watched on Netflix, but you have to understand that it's not the first time that such an event has ever happened. We, We have the record in the Old Testament of Enoch as he's walking with God, and all of a sudden he's just taken off into heaven. The same thing with Elijah. Elijah was walking along and all of a sudden this chariot of fire just kind of whirls him up into heaven. And then we know about Jesus and his ascension to be with the Father. And we believe by faith that one day the trumpet call of God is going to sound, the shout will come, and we will meet him in the sky. Harpazo, we will be caught up together with him. So we've talked about the return And we've talked about the rapture, and then we see the reunion. Christians will be with God forever. Paul described it like this, but it's kind of a review first. He said, after that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Brumley said it like this. He said, just a few more weary days and then I'll fly away to a land where joy shall never end. I'll fly away. I'm here to encourage somebody this morning with these words. Somebody who's hurting. Somebody who's grieving. Somebody who's afraid. Somebody who has lost something valuable or someone valuable to them. Um, If you're in Christ, there will be a day where you will be in the presence of God. And on that day, there will be no more pain. There will be no more heartache. There will be no more sickness, no more disease, no more death, no more poverty, no more shame, no more hatred, no more racism. There will be life in the presence of God. So may I encourage you with these words, Maranatha. Our king is coming. And when the trumpet sounds and when Jesus shouts, the dead in Christ are going to rise and they will, uh, those who are still here will be caught up with them in the air and we will be united with him to be in his presence forever and there will be no more tears and no more pain. I'm a big fan of a guy named Andrew Peterson. He's a singer-songwriter and he wrote a song called After the Last Tear Falls. These are the lyrics. After the last tear falls, after the last secret's told, after the last bullet tears through flesh and bone, after the last child starves, after the last girl walks the boulevard, after the last that's just too hard, there is love. After it all passes away, after we get through all this mess that we have to put up with on earth and that that just, you know, it touches all of us, none of us gets through life unscathed we all have to go through pain and hardship and tears and and heartache but the truth of the matter is paul said at best one day it's all going to be better paul said for me to live is christ and to die is gain he said i'm confused because 
I'm a little disoriented. I don't know what to do. On the one hand, I kind of want to live more because I can represent Christ and I can tell people about Jesus. But on the other hand, I would so much rather be with my heavenly Father to live as Christ, to die as gain. Hope for eternity, urgency for today. Paul said this in 1 Corinthians, but let me reveal to you a wonderful secret. We will not all die but we will all be transformed. It will happen in a moment, in the blink of an eye, when the last trumpet is blown, for when the trumpet sounds, those who have died will be raised to live forever, and we who are living will also be transformed. So, my dear brothers and sisters, be strong and immovable. Always work enthusiastically for the Lord, for you know that nothing you do for the Lord is ever useless. I can tell you this. <laughs> I am ready to go home. I am. Uh, I mean it. <laughs> I, I'm ready to go home. And if God struck me down right now, I'm ready. God has given me a great life. He's been good to me. I've seen a lot. I've done a lot. God has been very, very good to me. But time is short. And every morning when I wake up, I know God is not done with me. If I've got more breath in my lungs, that means God has something for me to do. I will not leave words unsaid. I will not leave deeds undone. And I will not leave hope unshared. Time is short. So do all you can today to share the hope of Christ that is within you. But some glad morning when this life is o'er, I'll fly away to a home on God's celestial shore. I'll fly away. I'll fly away, O oh glory. I'll fly away when I die. Hallelujah, by and by. I'll fly away. That's our hope. That's our promise in Jesus. I know it sounds weird. I know some people don't believe it. I'm just telling you, Jesus told us he's coming back. And when he does, he's coming for those of us who believe. Stand firm. Stay strong in your faith. Keep your eyes focused on Christ. One day, all the pain ends, and this all gets better. Let's pray together. Father, I give you thanks for the hope of eternity, and I pray, Father, that we would have an urgency for today. I pray that you would help us to see those in need, those who don't have Christ, those who are hurting. Help us to be the hands and the feet of Jesus as long as we have a day and as long as we're drawing a breath. But Father, those of us who are believers look forward to that time when you will come and get us, and we believe it. And we're looking forward to a time when we will spend an eternity with you. No more pain, no more enmity, no more grief, just you and us. What a day that will be. We pray for that to come soon. May you come quickly, Lord Jesus. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.